Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ozil. Marca Mesut Ozil. El centro de Ozil. Giroud. Gol. Gol. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. Good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, how's it all going? How was your weekend? It was very good, thank you. It was, it was um, oh, right, well, the big news, of course, uh, Jam and Buttergate continues to unfold. Really? Yes. I mean, as you'll be aware, we've never really had a reaction like it, have we, to anything we've ever talked about? No, it's it's uh, for all the football, for all the interest that people have in football and what Arsenal do and transfers and results and big games, Butter and Jamgate is clearly the most pressing issue on the minds of, of our listenership, which is great to know. It's good to, to, after 91 episodes, to find out what people are really interested in. Well, that's it. I mean, I don't know why we didn't start with that, to be honest. <laughs> um, but I was out on Friday night in central London um, in a bar in Soho and a man came up to me to shake my hand. His name was Maz, if he's listening, <laughs> uh, because he uh, he too is an exponent of the butter and jam toast theory. Wow. Uh, and I have to say... I mean, I haven't done the maths, but I, I feel like the people are with me. Uh, I, I would I would go with that, I have to say, having having uh, been bombarded by it on Twitter <laughs> in the immediate aftermath of the podcast and pretty much all week, <laughs> I would say yes. Butter and jam is the clear winner. Absolutely. Now, has that given you any pause for reconsideration? No, or? no, not at all. What it's done is essentially uh, consolidated my position as the jam-only guy because right. essentially... What you are, you butter and jam people, you're like Westlife. You know what I mean? Oof. Super, Oof. super popular. Everyone everyone loves Westlife. But we uh, jam only people, we're like the cool band that, uh, that only a few people like, that actually people, uh, people heard of before they were even cool. So that's what we are. Right. So you're Westlife and we're, I don't know. I don't know any bands who are cool, actually, so it's a bad analogy. No, I know. So that's the one, the one flaw <laughs> yeah. in this analogy. But, hey, I, I'm, um, I'm I don't comfortable. Either. I'm comfortable where I, I am. I don't either, but what, why would I? Because I'm a populist, you see. Yeah, absolutely. I'm appealing I'm, to the masses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the, you're the X Factor. You are the, the what, what's the thing? What are you, like um, uh, Jason Statham Simon movie? Simon Cowell? <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> Jason Statham movie, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah you know, like in, in every... In every Jason Statham movie, he eats toast with butter and jam. It's like his trademark, isn't it? <laughs> it's his killer movie, Other- yeah, exactly. Otherwise, people will be turned away from the cinema I discussed. Mm. Well, look, so that's basically, that's been the, that's mainly been my week, to be honest, dealing with the fallout from that. Um, what about yourself? Any news from, from that side of the sea? No, not really. Not really. I think I've got a bit of a cold, um, which is which is annoying. But uh, oh. generally, generally a quiet weekend, enjoying, you know, the football and enjoying just life, I guess. Yeah, I guess. well, that's good. Yeah, no, no dramas, no dramas. That's a good thing. No drama, no, like Mary J. Blige, just no more drama in your <laughs> life. <laughs> Is she a cool band? Could, could we be Mary J. Blige? I don't think, I mean, no. that song's about 15 years old. I don't think, I think I've shown myself up, if anything. Um, so, Arsenal. Yes. That's why we're they, here, they not, did, not actually they, butter yeah. and jam. 
it's not all about you know uh, bread products and preserves. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, it could be, couldn't it? I mean, we could spin it out. Uh, no, the game was good, wasn't it? Three 0 Yeah, it was quite reminiscent of the Watford game, wasn't it? Because in the first half, yeah, both teams true. both teams had chances to. To, to score, uh, certainly uh, Swansea had a brilliant chance, didn't they, in the um, about 20 minutes in when Gomis went through. Um, mm. And, well, I mean, look, I think there was uh, an element of shitness to what Gomis did when he went through, right? I think right. that's fair yep. to say, that he, he kind okay. of fluffed that chance. But at the same time, there were two things that struck me. One was the fact that Petr Cech didn't go down early and didn't didn't give him an easy decision to make. You know, he kind of stood up and, in a sense, thwarted him with some just physical presence. Uh, but, yeah, it was like a mind game, wasn't it? Mm. You know, it was that thing of who's going to go first. His positioning was really good. He didn't come too far and get stranded outside the box in a sort of Ambunier-esque fashion. No. But equally, he, he didn't commit, didn't go to ground. So it forced Gomez to think about it. And for a guy who gets caught offside that often, that may present a bit of a problem. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, this is a guy who, when it comes right down to it, his first thought is to be a gigantic cat. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to say, I, I don't. I obviously don't never want to see the opposition score, but that might be my favourite celebration in the Premier League. It's so strange, isn't it? It really is odd. It really is odd. So I think you know, perhaps there was there was a touch of the feline to his uh, decision making there. But the second thing about that whole thing was Hector Bellerin sprinting back, making up what thirty yards. Maybe 30 yards. Yeah, I, I think he sort of, you know, he broke the space-time continuum in, in that passage of play. <laughs> he was that fast. Uh, I think he's probably stuck back in like 1995 or something now. Yeah. You know, some sort of weird back to the future thing. Yeah, exactly. He, if, um, if, if he turns up to a training today in a DeLorean, nobody would be surprised yeah. wearing a kind of a... He would make a good Marty McFly, wouldn't he, Hector Bellerin? He kind of got I that useful so. that useful charm to him. Could imagine him skateboarding and then being chased by a load of Tottenham fans and, and then all the Tottenham fans getting uh, covered in, in poo from like a lorry, like what happened to Biff. Yeah, and that hair on the big screen. Wow. Yeah. It looked great. Mm. But um, I, I thought he did brilliantly, but I think you're right that Czech, what Czech did effectively allowed allowed him to get back. You know, it was kind of a, a combined joint effort, but the, the recovery pace was insane. And he also produced that, uh, block on the line where he's crashed into the post, albeit in an offside situation. Yeah. But I thought it was, we talk about his attacking play a lot. Um, so it was great to see a couple of big defensive contributions from him. Yeah. And I think it's the defensive awareness, you know, because if I was playing football and I, you know, a guy like Gomez went through, I probably would have just stood there going, ah, oh, fuck. Well, this is going to be a goal now any minute. Yep, there it yeah. is, and now he's a big cat. But you know, uh, that's probably why I never played top level football. That and the you know the complete lack of talent. But um, ju- just to be that switched on and to, uh, in a way, you know, when you see a player make a run into a box from an attacking position, sometimes that effort is rewarded because the ball falls for them. Um, like Vermalen, he used to happen quite a lot to Vermalen, didn't he? He'd sort of just pop up in the box somewhere, and it's like, oh fuck, what the yeah. hell? Is, a, what the hell is he doing there? And B, oh good, there's a goal, and they, it, it worked in a similar way from a defensive point of view that he just sort of dug in and and got rewarded for for that effort. 
Yeah, I think it's awareness, but it's also desire. As you say, a lot of players, I think, would have given that up, um, but he didn't. And obviously, that was a massive, massive point in the game because Swansea probably had the better of the chances in the first half. We didn't, we didn't really click, did we? I mean, I don't know what was behind that. If there was a bit of a hangover from the, the Sheffield Wednesday game for a few players like Giroud, I don't know. But in the second half, it was a very different beast. And if you talk about the movement of a player the movement of Olivier Giroud on that first goal was like fascinating to watch, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Re- when you see replays of it, there was a lot to it. You know, this hiding behind mm. Mertesacker thing was was great. I enjoyed that. And then I was looking at it going, why is he pulling Mertesacker's shirt out of the way? Yeah. What's he, what's he pulling his shirt for? You know, maybe some propulsion. I don't know what it was. He was trying to slingshot around the sun, some kind of shit like that. Uh, and then he took a step one way and Ashley Williams was trying to come around the other side to to block him off and to, to get goal side and obviously prevent him getting the header. But just the final little shimmy, like Giroud's not necessarily a guy that you would associate with, with quick feet. If you were going to have a dancing competition, he wouldn't be the guy. He wouldn't be the guy that you'd pick. But this little move one way and then he stepped back and I guess there's some measure of anticipation and awareness of where the ball might end up and a really good header as well. Yeah, I think it was like he was trying to sort of catapult himself into space off Mertesacker. And while I agree he's not the the daintiest on his feet, his movement in the penalty box has always been really good. You know, he's always made those sort of trademark near post runs. But this was a a really well-worked set piece. I think I said last week it looks a little bit like we're improving in that area and great delivery from Ozil and a good run and good header. So mm. it kind of needed, I felt like it probably needed to be a set piece to get us in front. You know, we, we hadn't produced a huge amount of opportunities. Giroud and Campbell had, had missed a couple, but our attacking game wasn't clicking massively. But once we mm. went ahead and Swansea were forced to come out, we looked a lot more dangerous uh, on the counter-attack. Interesting, isn't it, that we are... After so long, or one of the things that people used to say about Arsenal was that we're no good from set pieces. We never score from set pieces. We never score from corners. Yeah. Or they're a complete waste of time. And uh, in recent weeks, that's proved not to be the case. We're actually quite good at that. And there was a good stat on Match of the Day that, that uh, since his arrival, Giroud has scored 15 headers, which is more than mm. anybody else in the Premier League in the same period. So, So that's good. That is really good. Yeah, I saw that recently. And uh, I do think delivery is improving as well. That was always the frustration. So often you'd see, you know, the, the the corners hit the first man. We talked about it, I think, a lot last season, but it does seem to have been a marginal improvement there. Who knows? Maybe they've even practised. Can you imagine? Gosh. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> it sounds like almost plausible. And imagine the, the difference. The difference between getting the ball into a dangerous area and having it headed away by the guy standing at the near post. It's it's, oh, yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Must have just clicked crazy one thing. day on the training ground. Hey, what what if we try this instead? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Borough Primrach had a bright <laughs> idea. He'd been, try- he'd been trying to say it for years, and every time he spoke up, Arsen shushed him. He's like, Arsen, Arsen, I have ideas. Shh, Borough, go and put the cones out like I've told you. Yeah. And then he just shakes his head sadly. Go on, help Rio Miachi with the cones. Yeah, that's it. Rio Miachi injured again, apparently, by the way. Really? Um, Yeah, poor old Rio. I think he's done his knee ligaments again out till January. Oh, right. Um, There you go. Someone just told me that in passing last week. Yeah. 
Wish him all the best, but sort of not our problem anymore, is it? Was, it, was, that, like, was that like the butter and jam thing? You were just walking down the road and some guy came up to you and said, uh, by the way, uh, Rio Miyachi's done his uh, knee ligaments again. Yeah, I think it was Rio Miyachi, actually. Yeah. yeah, just hoping for a bit of recognition. <laughs> um, anyway, so we went 1-0 up and then... Second goal. A, Let me ask you. Classic. Yeah, go on. Foul or not? Like if it had been at the other <sighs> end. Ah, well, that's a different question. (laughs) Um, I think, yeah, I think I'd be, I was a bit surprised, I was a bit surprised to see it not given as a foul. Let's put it like that. Really? Um, Yeah, I think so. Just goalkeepers are so protected. Well, they are, yeah. I mean, that is the surprise. Goalkeepers tend to get the benefit of the doubt 99.99% of the time. Um, I'm not convinced that anything untoward went on, but I think in mo- in 80% of cases, a referee blows up there. I just said 99.99%, and you're, you've just undermined me by 19.999%. All right, well, let's call it like, you know, 90.5 or whatever in the middle. I'm not a mathematician. Somewhere in the middle of that. A lot of the time, let's yes. say. <laughs> uh, um, I, think, I think really should have been stronger goalkeeping, to be honest. Well... I mean, he's got previous, hasn't he? He has. He has. He's had his moments in the past, and we have been witness to those moments. Yeah, I mean, I've always felt that Fabianski's reputation was a little... I mean, you know, he got better, didn't he, in his time at Arsenal, and his last season produced some some pretty important contributions. Mm. But uh, I always think back of him as a, a bit of an accident waiting to happen, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and I was grateful for it this time. Did you see the nice. uh, the interview with uh, Lauren Koscielny on Match of the Day where they asked him, you know, did you did you think it was a foul? He said, no, I don't know. You know, uh, Olivier Giroud told me to put the ball in. I did. And then he just pissed himself laughing, um, which was quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> just the face was like, right. eh, yeah, there, there probably could have been a foul there because I think players know as well as anyone else how, how protected the goalkeepers are and, and, uh, and the way that referees generally deal with, with situations like that. So, so yeah, maybe yeah, we got I, away I with it a bit, but... I've noticed a thing, and I don't know if it's just my sort of imagination, but you know Koscielny and Giroud, they're big mates, aren't they? They played together in France, and, you know, they I think off the field they're sort of bezies. They're bezies. Oh, are they? Yeah. Right. But it seems to me like they always score. Whenever Koscielny scores, Giroud scores as well. Obviously not whenever Giroud scores, Koscielny scores. Too. It doesn't all work that way around, because Giroud right. scores a lot more often. But, like, they both scored against Everton this season. Yeah. I think they both scored... Did they both score at Bayern Munich a couple of years ago? Yeah. I, th- I think in 2013-14, they both scored against Sunderland and Newcastle. It's like they just have a little parties together. <laughs> Interesting. I wow. don't know what's going on there. Yeah. But I like it. I've it, got no issue with it. No, I think it's good. I think it's good. You know, maybe they inspire maybe each means, other. Well, yeah, or perhaps logically, they both score against teams who aren't very good in the air. I don't know. But how many of those goals were actual headers? Because Koscielny's got a couple of goals, not necessarily from his head, but from sort of penalty box poaching more than, than thumping headers, you know? Scrambles. Yeah, he scramblers. Scramble. Yeah, you know. He loves a scrappy goal, doesn't he, Koscielny? Yeah, like the one in the FA Cup final, remember? He sort of hooked yeah, it in yeah, yeah. and then got smashed to bits and, you know, couldn't celebrate it properly because he was pr- probably quite hurt. But he does like those kind of scrambly ones from close range. Um, so yeah, I wonder how, how many of them were headers. Somebody could check. Listen, up to Joe or whoever it is. What's going on? Tell yeah. us. Um, so two 0 then, and then Joel Campbell 
iced the cake beautifully. He really did. Lovely finish. And a goal, I think it would be fair to say, that he thoroughly deserved based on the, the performance in the game. Yeah, I would agree with that. I thought in the first half, where we were struggling a bit, he was probably our best player. Um, and then, you know, across the course of the 90 minutes, worked really hard. I mean, that is the main thing, isn't it? He worked exceptionally hard, mm. as he did at Sheffield Wednesday, to be fair, but he was a little bit, well, quite a lot better on the ball this time. Um, and I thought, yeah, really encouraging. I guess, I don't know. I mean, I guess, it. you know, the, I think we have a tendency, I said this on my post-match video, but we have a tendency to really polarise players. You know, either we sort of build them up to be world-class or they become kind of joke figures. Mm. Whereas someone like Campbell, who's sort of on the fringes of the squad kind of operates somewhere in between that. You know, he's not, he's probably not good enough to start for Arsenal week in, week out. But he's certainly good enough to be, you know, fourth or fifth choice in his position and come in and, and do a good job and pr- probably would, would do all right for a number of Premier League teams. So I guess we've got to be glad that we've got someone like that in the squad. I think if you see how raw someone like Alex Awobi looked in midweek, to have someone with his level of experience to come in is a, a real boost. Yeah, you know, we, we've, um, yeah, we have talked about him before. And I think a lot of the time you take your cue from the way the manager treats a player also. Yeah. You know, that, that if a manager doesn't pick a guy or doesn't put him on when you need a goal and he's a forward, you kind of read things into that, which I think is perfectly natural. Um, I don't think anybody would have ever said that Campbell at Arsenal was given a fair chance or given a reasonable chance to show what he could do. But at the same time, there's a reason why, for example, he wasn't playing ahead of uh, of Danny Welbeck, of Aaron Ramsey on the right-hand side, of, you know, uh, of other players. But maybe what he's done mm. there as well is he's kind of, um, he's put it up to the Ox a little bit, who would be ahead of I him or so, would have yeah. been ahead of him, certainly in, in terms of the manager's thinking and the way that, that he plays. But uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain hasn't really taken his chances so far this season. He's been costly at times. And and Campbell given a chance, and maybe there's a touch of the the whole Cockerland thing going on here as well. That he knows that look, these guys aren't going to be out injured forever. Hang on, this is Arsenal; they probably will. But no, he knows that they're going to be back at some point. So when he does get a chance, he's really got to he's really got to try and make the most of it. Um, Performance wise, fantastic. Really worked hard, deserved a goal. And that then gives the manager something to think about, and obviously provides him with a bit of a confidence boost as a player. You know, you could see it. There was a moment, wasn't there, a few minutes later where he went through on goal and he had Alexis inside and he had Ozil going outside him and he took a shot and smashed it not too far over the top corner of the goal. Alexis went bananas. Did you see the reaction? He went bananas. he wasn't sure for that. But in fairness, in fairness to Campbell on the day, I think he's more than, more than, uh, uh, it was fair enough for him to, to take a shot and to not actually pass it to Alexis who didn't do an awful lot all day anyway, so... Uh, yeah, no, exactly. He didn't have his best game. And I, I think the other thing is that if you look back and think about the successful seasons that we've had at Arsenal, mm. there are always these kinds of players who make, you know, not massive contributions, but who come in and do the odd, you know, score the odd goal. I always think of Chris Ray, you know, in 97, 98, who I don't think any of us would claim was necessarily the best footballer who we've ever had on the books. Give but shit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he was George Ware's cousin. Come on. 
Yeah. I mean, how did he end up at the club? So strange, wasn't it? I mean, um, the, the, the fact that he's George Weah's cousin is fine, but there must be like all these top footballers in the world. They all have cousins, and we never heard of any of them. Like you've never heard, <laughs> you've never heard of like Lionel Messi's cousin or or Pirlo's cousin. Just because they're vaguely related to a guy doesn't mean he's going to be any good at football. Who was, didn't Ali Dyer claim to be? You know, the guy Southampton signed and yeah. then had to take him off. Didn't he claim to be related to someone as well? I think he claimed to be related to. George Weah as well, or that he came through the George Weah Academy, yeah. or I'm just going to look it I up. I mean, here. yeah. So what? What I was going to yeah, say was he he convinced um, Graham Soonest that he was the cousin of George Weah. Oh, right. Wow. I think that's how Joel Campbell got into Arsenal. He convinced everyone he was the brother of Sol Campbell, <laughs> and everyone's like, "Well, let's get him on board." That is the nice thing about Joel Campbell. All the songs are recyclable. Mm. You know, mm. you can just slightly change a consonant and you've got, you got to have a load of songs for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, what the point I was making was that you need, you sometimes you need these sort of curious, curious little oddities of players to come in and, and make a contribution. And I think Campbell has put it up to Oxide because what we always say with Chamberlain is that there's not enough end product. Campbell started one Premier League game. Uh, and he's opened his account for the club. So I think it is quite a finite window of opportunity for him. I think mm. it's basically until the international break. He's got the the buying game if he's selected in that. And then um, the North London derby at the weekend. But I mean, those wouldn't be bad games to make your presence felt in. And I think if he can do that, obviously it might might change things mm. for him. Uh, you know, he, he scores in every single Premier League game he starts in, Joel Campbell. He's got so. 100% record. Yeah. 100% record. So look... That was us. Uh, Manchester City looked like they were about to drop some points until very late in the game and their goalkeeper made a ridiculous mistake and then uh, they gave away a penalty. It was a good penalty to give away, though, mm. the handball. You know. Yeah, thanks, Norwich. Yeah. Thanks a bunch. Um, but I, that's one where I can't get too stressed out about that because in my head they were winning that game about 6-0. Do mm. you know what I mean? Yeah. So... That's that's not the that's not the one where we're going to win it, you know, where we're going to edge ahead. I don't think. No. City at home to Norwich. I think they'll they'll canter through a lot of those teams. Yeah. Um, Chelsea lost again. Chelsea. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you wholly enjoy that? Did you have any qualms about celebrating Liverpool's victory, or were you just fully on board? Absolutely no qualms whatsoever. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I you were was, qualm free. I was absolutely without qualm. Um, yeah, no, no, great. I mean, it's just fantastic. Um, and the more irate and angry he gets, the better. Every week we're having this this little moment to to bask in his in his misery. The the um, the reaction when Lucas didn't get sent off uh, was was brilliant. Just hilarious, yeah. you know. Just I mean, that was of, quite extraordinary that he didn't get sent off, I thought. As I well. thought he was a little bit lucky, in fairness, yeah. I thought he yeah, was. Yeah. Even though we've spoken about this before, and I think there is a tendency um, to to issue that second yellow card a bit too easily. You know, I think really sendings off should be something of a something of a last resort. But hey, when the referee's decisions aren't going for you, you know, that's, that's the way the cookie crumbles. So it, do, it doesn't seem like he's getting the sack yet, so... Hopefully there'll be more chances to enjoy his um, his unhappiness. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. Let's let him continue on. I think we play them in January, so if he could just hold on to that, and it'd be great to to deliver the the final blow, as unlikely as it seems. But uh, yeah, it's a curious old situation, and, and poor old Cess dropped 
to the subs bench. He's probably better off out of it, to be honest. He's probably chuffed. <laughs> well, they did say certain players were saying after the game they'd rather lose than win for the manager. And that, if true, that's coming from a BBC reporter. If that's true, that really makes his position more or less untenable, I think. You can't turn that around. If you've, got, if you've lost the dressing room to that extent, you know, that's really, really difficult to, to, to get on top of again. Yeah, well, the danger signs were there when Eden Hazard missed a penalty in midweek because he doesn't miss penalties. Like, he can only have done that on purpose, I suspect. Oh, yeah, nice. There's a good conspiracy theory for people there. All there right. we go. All right, well, look, that'll take us to the end of this, uh, this part of the show. We're going to come back in a second with part two and your questions right after this. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is the time where we answer your questions sent to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog with the hashtag Arscast Extra. So uh, you can go first, or did you go first last week, or will I go first? Or what, what, How do you want to play it? How do we work this out? I don't know. I mean, I, I wasn't worrying about it, but now I am. Yeah, I'll tell on. you what, I'll yeah. go first. Well, maybe we I'll should do first. something. We should toss a coin. Rock, paper, scissors. Okay, let's let's do that. Okay, okay. rock, paper, scissors. One, two, okay. three. One, two, three. Um, I, don't know, what, uh, I can't see what you're doing. It doesn't work on a podcast. Rock. It? I had a rock. Yeah, you would say that. You're just saying that because you can smell that I've got scissors. I don't know what... You go first. Okay. Heads or tails? Oh, we don't have a tails here. We've a harp. Heads or, head or harp? Oh, you don't have tails. Well, we no. don't have... To be fair, there's never... Oh, it's a coat of tails, is it? What? It's not a picture of an animal's tail, is it, on a coin, ever? No. But there no. is a picture of a head. Well, not not on this uh, one euro coin. I've got a one euro coin, which is a, which has got a big number one, and then, like, Europe on the front, and then on the back there's a harp, because it's uh, an Irish issue. Uh, right. I mean, I've got a 2P here, and it's got the Queen's head on it, Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have the queen's tail. It's got some sort of feathers on the other side. Maybe that is her tail. <laughs> Maybe. You never see much below the head of the queen, do you? She's not... Mm. She's, she's often wrapped up. So it'd be difficult. She could be covered in feathers. Yeah. I think it's probably part of the old uh, royal interbreeding thing that they are the, the entire lower part of their bodies are just covered in scales or, or feathers or... Well, they're lizard people, aren't they? I'm sure that's mm. been proven. And, and we know that lizards are related to birds and ultimately they come from dinosaurs. So what you're saying is that Queen Elizabeth is a velociraptor. I mean, if someone can disprove it, I'll be interested to hear it. All right, look, I'll go first. Okay. All that. This one comes from uh, Alistair Wood at Alleyboy82. And he said, if you had to win and lose one each of the next two games, which would you win and why? The Derby. Mm, yes. It would be the Derby for me. Um, A, because... I don't know. Well, I think I think in my head... The We've Premier already the beaten one, Bayern it? Munich, you know. It's kind of boring That's if it. we beat done them it. again. You know, been there, I mean, done that. I'd, well, I'd feel guilty about it, if anything. Pep Guardiola's sad eyes, looking darker than ever. I think... Um, I think it's because it's all... I think it's all about the league for us this season. I think, mm. as fans, I think there's a sense that even if we do somehow 
escape from the group of death featuring Dynamo Zagreb and Olympiakos that uh, we won't progress much further. You know, we've sort of grown accustomed and quite tired of that fact that we get eliminated in the early knockout stages, whereas it feels like there's a real opportunity in the Premier League. You know, we talked about Chelsea, Manchester United, Dallas Dishwater at the moment, aren't they? Mm. Really not particularly inspiring. So it feels like it could turn into a straight fight between us and City. Um, and that's one we've got a, a real chance in. Also, I just can't bear to lose a, a North London derby. At least if we lose against Bayern, I won't have you know Bayern fans taunting me on my, on my journeys around North London, mm. waving their toast at me. <laughs> just with jam all over it, no butter. Look what we've done. And um I you know, so I think it's gotta be that. What about you? Oh yeah, the Derby, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um all because of how important the league is and the fact that we're in a good position in the league. Also the fact that it, you know it's Tottenham and their cunts and you want to beat them every time that rivalry is there. That isn't necessarily there with, with Munich, you know. Um just because we, we have to play them every year, Tottenham that is. And Bayern, actually. It feels like we play Bayern every year as well. But, you know, the league is the one. The league is the competition on which the biggest focus has has got to be. Or it's the one that's most important for us. So, Quesar uh, Asara in Europe uh, on Wednesday. Obviously, I'd like us to win. But if I had to choose, it would definitely be, it would definitely be Sunday. Arsene sort of let that slip, actually. There was a really interesting quote from him Um in the last week or so in which he said the league is is our competition that we want to focus on mm. I don't know if it was you know just a slip of the tongue or whatever but I think you know there is that sense around the club at the moment and if we if we do go out of Europe it won't be because of what happens this week it will be because of what happened a few weeks ago yeah yeah um, okay but on the subject of the Bayern game at Gunnar Gala asks do you think we're going to change formation for the trip to Bayern, like having an extra man next to Santi? I did wonder about that, I have to say, whether or not they, you know, he might just stick a flamini in the midfield area and be a little yeah. less attacking, but then I don't quite know what you do from the right-hand side. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because when we played them at home, we had Walcott as this outlet and whose pace we could use to sort of ease the pressure. You could see in the early part of the game how the players looked to find him over the top. They looked to find him very quickly. And that's not going to be the case with Giroud. Um, he's going to have to hold it up against two very big, strong centre-halves and try and bring others into play. So I wonder if that might be an influence on how the manager sets things up. Um, so mm. it, w- it wouldn't necessarily surprise me if Campbell was the one to miss out, and maybe he could yeah, bring Flamini coming yeah, in. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe. I mean, it's I mean, not it, ideal it, to be honest. Like, it would be better if it was somebody, you know, who wasn't quite Flamini. But uh, he might feel that that kind of security away from home is the thing. But then, of course, Flamini is an auxiliary centre forward as well. We can push him. Push him on when when we need to break. He'll just hang around. Yeah, He'll be a goal it. poacher. The full six. <laughs> I think if Flamini... The, the, the problem is there are two issues, I guess. One is Arsene's very wedded to keeping Cazorla in the middle of the park. I think he's shown that now, mm. you know. Um, and I think justifiably so. And the other thing to consider is that without Walcott, you know, let's say you took... Does that make keeping Campbell's pace in the side that much more important? Yeah. Um, 
to give you a runner off Giroud as well as Alexis. So it's a really difficult one. I think he'll probably end up going with the same side, but that that would be the change that I might anticipate, which could be to bring in Flamini for Campbell. You can keep Cazorla central just in a more advanced role and maybe push Ozil out onto one of the flanks, but as he did at Bayern, um, I think last time we were there. Mm. But uh, that didn't work too well, as I recall. So we, we shall see. We shall see what happens. I, I think I think he'll go with the same side, but that's the one change that, that he might make. Yeah. I'm looking forward to Matt Macy's debut in goal as well. Yes, that obviously will be good. That mm. will be good. Um, All right. This one comes from um, Darren Arsenal One, who wants to know, is Remy Gard's arrival in the Premier League a precursor to him being favourite to replace Arsene Wenger when the time comes. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Arsene's been talking up Remy Gard. It feels like for some time, it feels like for, for years, he's sort of been on his radar. This is his first signing, I believe, when he... Well, he wasn't even technically at the club yet when, mm. when Gard joined. He was one of the, the envoys, along with Patrick Vieira. Um, I mean, it all depends on how Gard does. By all accounts, he did a very good job at Leon in difficult circumstances at a time when... Uh, they had some real financial problems. But, you know, it's a very different situation, Villa. And if he if he doesn't perform well there, he won't be in contention at all, whatever his connection, wouldn't mm. you say? Yeah, of course. And we know how managers can be hot property one minute and then, and then just not uh, in a very short space of time. You know, there's mm. always the next guy who's going to come along and he's the next great young manager. He's going to be the guy who's going to do it. And I think what we've seen, uh, you know, in recent years is that consistency at managerial level is really, really, really difficult. Really difficult. Yeah. Um, to maintain a level and to keep a team at a certain point, um, regardless of how frustrated you might be with some of the things we've done and or maybe haven't done, to maintain that level of consistency is the most difficult thing uh, as a manager. And too many managers have had great seasons or a good half season or three quarters of a season or, you know, a team has clicked and this kind of momentum has carried them through. And, you know, when it comes right down to it, they're not able to to replicate that, you know? Brendan Rodgers is a great example. Absolutely. I mean, it, it is Arsenal's consistency, I think, that really marks him out above all others. Um, and... I mean, Remy Gard, who knows? It really, really depends how it goes from him. I, I mean, I think that it's, it's sort of speculative to 